Welcome back to the Pushing Through Loss podcast, where we share stories, honor resilience, and embrace strength. I am Kalila Green Siciliano, and it is my honor to begin the journey with you. Today, I have with me someone who I I just met, but I was looking at all of your stuff. I said right before we recorded on Instagram, and I was like, I love you already. (laughs) Um, So Sally, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So normally we talk about um, pregnancy loss. And and when I was reading a little bit about what you wanted to speak about, I was very intrigued because I think people in general don't want to talk about loss and grieving Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. the death of a loved one. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about why you wanted to come on. Yeah. um, When I saw your post looking for speakers, I was... um, intrigued because in February I lost my dad and, um, I was really, you know, when you hear about someone losing someone, you, you feel, um, empathy and you feel sad for them and you can imagine that they feel sad, but until you actually lose someone, you don't understand the depth of all the emotions that you go through and how it Mm -hmm. affects you. So, um, I, I had just been through it when I, uh, read your post. And so it just intrigued me to come on and, and speak about it. I appreciate that. Cause I think, like you said, you can't ever really understand what the person's going through until you go through it. And I felt the same way with miscarriage. Like I had a friend who had gone through a stillbirth literally five days before their due date. And I, oh I could sympathize with them and I was there for them at least in the best way I thought possible. But sure. until I went through a miscarriage in my second trimester, I, I was clueless. Right. Right. You just don't, you can't, as much as you would like to, you can't put yourself there right. unless you've experienced it. Yeah. Right. So tell me, go back to, to happy times and tell me a little bit about your relationship with your dad. Yeah. So, um, my dad was, uh, a jokester. He was always, um, searching for the, the, um, get rich quick schemes. He talked about <laughs> all these adventures, like I'm going to get a trailer with a bunch of Hawaiian shirts and I'm going to follow Jimmy Buffett around <laughs> on a concert and sell shirts off my trailer. That sounds like, like my uncle. <laughs> <laughs> so he always had some new scheme he was cooking up. He was always going to win the lottery. Um, and he there, I'm one of five. So, um, we had a lot of inside family jokes, you know, and, um, even, even down to his last days, he was cracking jokes and, um, but he was, he was the, the foundation of our family. You know, Mm -hmm. he was, he was the, the safety of our family. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I saw him. Yeah. So what, if you don't mind my asking what happened? Sure. So about 15 years ago, he got diagnosed with melanoma and um at the time they they thought they got it all but a few years after they found um a tumor on his lung and a tumor on his kidney and so he had surgery and went through chemo and radiation and everything and lived with it you know for for 15 years but about 2 years ago he found a lump on his neck and they went in and took it out and did chemo and everything but it just eventually um was insurmountable. Yeah. It, the fact that he lived with it for 15 years 
you can tell he, he was a strong guy. It, yeah. It's something, you know, typically you hear cancer diagnosis and they give you six months or they give you a year. And I mean, 15 years, that's incredible. Right. Right. And he, he never wanted to give up even to down to like, we were there, what, like a week and a half before he died. And he was like, yeah, I, I want to do the chemo. I want to do whatever you got. Give it to mm. me. So yeah, he didn't want to leave. The grit he must have had is, it sounds incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he passed <laughs> away in February and mm. obviously being one of five, that must have been a different experience because from what you've said, it sounds like your family is very close. So you had those four other people and I, I hope your mom to mm-hmm. create yes. that community around you. Yeah. It was interesting. It's interesting with, um, death and dying, how, um, the dynamics of the family kind of come into a new light. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, so a couple of my brothers just don't come around very much. And um, when my dad was dying, I think they didn't want to believe it was happening or mm-hmm. or um, whatever the case was. But we finally got them to come and they, they came in and said goodbye. But only three of us were there when he actually died. So it was a really just intimate experience I call it like um beautiful torment like it was so Mm heart-wrenching but it was so beautiful to be able to be there Mm -hmm. so yeah it's so interesting because I've recently um in the Jewish tradition we have a a whole process even literally for everything from from the time a person's born there's a a prayer or a, a blessing or something that you can say even just for waking up or for going to the bathroom or for you know before you put food in your mouth and after you put food in your mouth everything and including after someone has passed away there's a whole mm-hmm. process that's involved with making sure the body is taken care of properly and can go into mm-hmm. heaven as a, a purified body and i recently mm-hmm. have been part of that process um it's oh, always me. something that i was terrified for, about right. and it's always something that i i I was asked to do it once and I was like, I didn't know. I didn't even have words to express like what I, I'm not capable of helping someone do that. And then I was put into it for the first time um, about six weeks ago and I've done it now twice. And you're right. It's, it's this beautiful torment because on the one hand, you're, you're looking at this person who must have led an incredible life, no matter what that life was. And yet at the same time, you're caring so deeply for them, even though you don't know them to be able to make sure they're properly taken care of and that their family doesn't have to worry that something's going to happen or that, you know, after death, their body's going to be changed in some way or, or hurt in some way or, or whatever it might be. And it, it really is a, a beautiful way of, of torturing yourself. Yeah. That's such a loving service. It really is. It's called the Kedisha and it's, it's incredible. Uh That's awesome. So do you feel like you were able to do that because you had experienced your miscarriage? I don't know. I think it was one of those where, um, I, I avoided it for so long. My grandfather passed away in 2000 and 
10 and I was very close with him. And I, okay. he, when you were describing your dad, it, it mm-hmm. sounded a little bit like my grandfather. He was yeah. a very stereotypical grumpy old man, except with yes. me where yeah. <laughs> like he was in the hospital one time and I happened to be in the same area. And so I was mm-hmm. going to visit him anyway, but he didn't know I was there. So I showed up at the hospital and he looked at me and he said, how did you get here? And I just flapped <laughs> my arms like this. And, yeah. <laughs> and he started laughing and the nurses all around were like, I'll never see him laugh. I'm like, Hey, <laughs> leave it to me. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and so I think it was one of those where, as I've just gotten older and matured, I just wanted to make sure that I knew for myself what happened after death, because it, it shouldn't be something we fear. It shouldn't be something. Right. Yes. It's unknown, but the more you don't know about something, the more you fear about something. So right. facing those fears to me is I talk about activating your inner strength warrior all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it, it was a big fear. And so I said, yeah. you know what, the <clears throat> only way to be comfortable and sit in it is to do it. Yes. Right. And it, it is, it's, it's one of those where I feel so honored every time I'm asked to do it. Yeah, I'm sure. I think that's, I mean, that's so beautiful what you can provide to those families. I, um, my dad came home on hospice for about a week and I felt the same way about the hospice nurses, you know, just, um, to be able to provide comfort, a different level of, um, mental and emotional comfort than we could provide. Mm just by saying, you're okay. Mm-hmm. You're okay. They'd, you know, put their hand on us. You're okay. You're okay. Cause he'd be afraid he wouldn't be able to breathe or something. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's a beautiful thing to be able to provide comfort to the person and their family. And I think mm-hmm. before my dad died, I had always been so afraid of death. Like it was such a, like the biggest fear. Right. Mm-hmm. And now, like, actually it's kind of, peaceful. Yeah. Actually, it it, can't, it doesn't have to be that scary. Yeah. It's so interesting because I'm I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. And so okay. when, with when JK Rowling writes about the fact that the three um Peveril brothers are one is is trying to escape death and one is trying to be most powerful, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then finally the the one who had been trying to escape death welcomes death as a friend. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that I think you can only gain from going through that experience yeah I think so too I think so too and you know none of us are getting out of it alive (laughs) it's very true (laughs) two things in life are certain are death and taxes yep yep (laughs) yeah so tell me more about the process for this almost this last year of what it's been like to to not just live with the grief but to thrive with it there Mm -hmm. so I think um and I can't really explain it, but I think, and maybe he's helping me from the other side, right? Um, I had felt a little bit stuck with my business and just kind of in a rut and um, fearful about putting things out there. And um, after he died, I just felt like I needed a fresh start with everything. Like I Mm. cut my hair, we moved to a new house. Like I totally rebranded my business and, um, it's just been kind of a reawakening for me um, to, um, allow myself to rediscover me on a different level and express myself. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
Yeah, I don't really know how to explain it, except that I, I think that he's he's given me a little nudge. Sort of looking over you and saying it's okay. Yeah. Has that changed your relationship with your brothers and, and the rest of your siblings? Um, my sister and I, um, it's been interesting because my daughter moved to Virginia to go to school and my sister lives there. So we've been able to spend a lot more time together in the last couple of years than we have in the last 20. Oh, wow. And um, she was there too when my dad died. And I think it bonded us together even closer, you mm. know, um, she just texted me actually that her three-year-old had a dream about Boompaw. We call them Boompaw. <laughs> had a dream about Boompaw last night that he was a rabbit and she snuggled him and then put him on uh, my sister's lap. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think it, it has um, helped our relationship. As far as my brothers, I feel like I had some resentment about them just not showing up. And now I'm just kind of able to let that go. Like mm. they can live their lives. We can live our lives. And if anyone needs anything, we'll be there for each other kind of a right. thing. Right. It's really difficult because, and I tell this to my kids all the time, <clears throat> because the only thing you can control is your own action, your own speech and right. your own thoughts. Right. And however they needed to process that, that whole situation, the denial, the grief, the anger, whatever mm. it was, they felt like they couldn't be there. And that was what they could control. Right. And so to have you say that you can accept where they were at this point is a really big step on your part because what they did has nothing to do with you, even though it feels like it has everything to do with right. you. Right. Exactly. And, you know, like you said, everyone processes things different and our experiences, um, you know, dictate kind of how we process things until we're aware of processing things differently. Right. And I've done a lot of personal growth in the past few years. And I understand that not everyone has, and, and that's okay. we're all yep. on our own journey. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it just, I think helped me accept them. I love them. They're my brothers and I don't have to, um, agree or try to control or, you know, be part right. of their decision-making process. <laughs> right. Right. They have, they have their own brains and their own lives and, and that has to be okay for them. Right. Right. So tell me more about how you revamped your business, because I, I'm really fascinated by what you were doing before versus what it is now. Mm -hmm. So um, I graduated, I was a personal trainer for a long time. Um, and I had found that no matter what I told my clients to do, they would self-sabotage. And so I, I started losing confidence in myself. I thought, well, it must be me because mm -hmm. I, I don't know what to tell them. Um, and so I kind of went in search of what the missing piece was. Like there had to be a mental and emotional piece to this. Like it's not just physical. So mm -hmm. um, I ended up taking a life certification program in 2019 and it was a 10 month program. So by the time I graduated, COVID had hit. <laughs> and there goes personal training. <laughs> and I worked with a lot of um, older people. Not a lot of them were really down with hopping on a Zoom call to do their sessions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that kind of, it, I kind of was at this crossroads of, well, I, I, I have this other 
tool in my toolbox do I completely pivot to that and was scary because I was like oh that's a big a big jump so um, I started kind of it took me a long time to kind of get down to who I was supposed to help and I was consistently overthinking it and shifting gears and overthinking it and shifting gears so um I went to my parents' house last December and I pretty much stayed um, on and off through March and then went back um, late April and into May. So um, I kind of put my business on hold. I didn't, I wasn't working at that point. And when I came back, um, I just felt again, like I needed a fresh start and I needed, and I needed to express myself in a different way. And so I kind of, um, came up with this like rebellious, like I'm, I've, I've always been kind of rebellious against the norm. And okay. so I'm like, why, why do I never say that? And so I've kind of rebranded myself into my program is called the rebel method and it helps women who are stuck you know, with losing weight or, um, you know, just feeling frustrated. And really what we talk about is how can we do this in a self-loving way instead of trying to hate ourselves skinny, like mm -hmm. society wants us to do. Yep. So, <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'm just less afraid now to, to say what I mean and mean what mm -hmm. I say and, um, do it in a way that may offend some people who believe other ways and, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a friend recently who just said, um, I'm not, I'm not everybody's person. There's right. 8 billion people in this world and it's okay if many of them don't even know who I am. And I right. was like, wow, that's such a good way to look at it because it's yeah. true. If you're not afraid to, to put authentically out what you know to be true. And if mm -hmm. you're not afraid to say, okay, I'm not your person then yeah. and it like frees this whole aspect of, of this self doubt in your head. Yes. And it's, I always talk about creating and activating that inner strength warrior and you're doing mm. it not just for other people, but for yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I think you're right. And I, um, and you're right. It's such a freeing, you're so stuck in that fear. And when you decide that you're just going to let go of the fear of being judged or whatever, and just say what you want to say. And if people don't like it, that's okay. It's, it's very freeing. Yeah. 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 And, and to also accept, I remember a few years ago, I was very vocal on Facebook about a specific topic and I was getting mm -hmm. a lot of negative comments. Oh, okay. And, and I remembered complaining to my husband and he said, either he basically said, poo or get off the pot <laughs> like right, either right. stop complaining about it or stop doing it like right. there's no other option here but right. then I had all these other people that would reach out and say thank you thank you for voicing what I'm thinking thank you for being that brave person that I feel like I can't be and it all of a sudden hit me that I was like you're right we all have a voice and if someone feels silenced to me that's worse than somebody yelling at me for my opinion right right because at least both people are feeling free to express themselves. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and just... the more negative you put out there, the more negative you're going to get. And so my exactly. feeling is, you know what, like just, it's, it's a really hard thing to do. And it's a really easy thing to say, 
but ignore the negativity. You don't need to celebrate it. You don't need to like do a happy dance. If someone sends you a piece of hate message, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, you can say delete block. I'm not even going to read it. Exactly. I remember at my kid's school, there was a, a rule that, um, I helped coach volleyball and there was a rule that if the parents had a problem, they had to wait 24 hours before speaking to the coach. That's <laughs> a I great rule. I've enacted that rule, um, with, with this kind of stuff. I just got a, <laughs> a message from a woman who, um, she was like my number one fan and she was like bringing all these people into my group and I'd never worked with her, but she was singing my praises and blah, blah, blah. And then she got fired from her job and she wanted to have a consult with me. And so I had the call with her and gave her my prices and stuff. And this was, I want to say like six months ago, at least maybe a year. And just the other day, she messaged me um, that she thinks it's very wrong that I am charging so much money to help people with their spirituality. And first of all, I'm like, well, that's, I mean, we talk a little bit about, you know, trust and surrender and God and, but I don't feel like I'm, my shtick is really, you know, spirituality and like, I can't do it for, like, you got paid for your job, right? Like, why can I not get paid for my job? Right. And so I, I just simply said, you know, thank you for your opinion. And, um, you know, I, I can't do it for free because this is how I make my living. And she came back and said, well, you don't have to do it for free, but your prices are way too high. And so I was like, you know what? At first I was going to be like, <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to let this one just go for 24 hours. And I totally forgot about it. And, you know, I came back from visiting my daughter and the message popped up again. And I just said, thanks for your feedback. Have a good day. Right. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting to bring it back to the idea of loss that when, when someone wants to help jumping on the first idea is not always the best idea. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it does more damage than saying like, okay, I I get that this person needs me, but sometimes the best thing to do is just think for even an hour and then say, okay, Mm -hmm. what can I do? And on the flip side, when you're going through that, I remember there were so many times I had to give someone else the grace because as someone who was suffering to hear the comments that people would say, I was like, I want to respond so badly right now. I want to say exactly what I'm thinking. And then I thought, you know what? It's not going to help anything. They're right. trying to come at this as a place of, from love. And, and I need to give them the grace and understanding what you said before that because someone hasn't experienced it themselves, they have no idea what you're going through. Right. And no matter what you say to them, they're not going to get it. Right. So it's not like you can educate them out of it. So you right. just kind of have to, you know, thanks. Right. And, and you can then choose to say. <laughs> Either I want you still to be in my life or you can yes. choose to say, I need to set my own boundaries right. and, and create that space to say right now, what you're doing is not helpful. Right. Right. Yeah. If that's all you have to say, please just don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, that 24 hour rule should be like across the board. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's a good rule. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of problems could be solved in this world if we took that time to just let it sit. 
Right. Right. Yeah. And like you said, people are trying, they think they're saying the right thing often, you know, they either think they're educating you or being empathetic or right. Right. Or the helpful comments. Like I was just talking to somebody who said she was going through, um, permanent infertility and somebody said to her well you could just adapt and and while she might have had that thought herself mm-hmm. it's not a helpful comment for anybody to offer their suggestions as to how to solve your problem right <clears throat> i know people want to fix it and it's it's a safety thing for the other per- the person making the comment it's a safety thing for them right like yeah. if i can fi- i can get in there and help you fix this problem then the world will be okay and right. there won't right. be right everything matches again and the, all the puzzle pieces are put together properly and my world is safe again right exactly yeah and one of the things i think that's so important is to and i think you're probably getting there through your own coaching for other people is to allow that process as much as it really sucks to sit Mm -hmm. in the, the, what we call the negative emotions, it's so important to process them and not just ignore them. And one of the things, one of the things I've learned from somebody else who is an emotion and body coder is that Mm -hmm. all, everything is energy, right? Everything from, from the table in front of you to your emotions, it all is an energetic field. And if you can process the happy emotions like, you know, exaltation or um, excitement or, or whatever it might be, those Mm -hmm. go through you very easily because your body is like, oh, that was, that was easy. That was happy versus those other emotions that we so call negative. Your body sort of wants to run away from, but if you can sit in it and you sit in the uncomfortable aspect of it, it just helps to process and the other side of that process feels so much better. Right. Right. I, I tell my um, clients that you have to feel it before you can let it go. You yes. know, you, otherwise it just gets stuck in there and, right. and causes all kinds of other problems. But I also tell people like, you can't know the height of joy unless you know the depth of pain. Yep. So if you're not feeling the pain, you're not going to feel this, this joyful. So you're just going to live mediocre. Right. And who right. wants that? Right. Or you're going to try and numb everything. Yeah. And I think so many people do, and it's so easy in this day and age with all the technology and entertainment and everything that we have to just not process anything. Right. But I feel like that's not really living. Right. I agree. I say all the time, you can't understand one side of it without understanding the other. And while the other side sucks in the moment, it makes that, that joy so much better when you can get there. Right. Do you mind if I ask where, when did you have your miscarriage? Was it after all your other kids or? It, It was. So I, um, if you, go back and listen to my early, early, very first episode. I I talk a little bit about my experience and basically what Mm -hmm. happened was I had three perfect pregnancies. I got pregnant, um, literally within days of getting married. And my daughter was born almost exactly nine months, the day of my wedding anniversary. Uh And then my second and my third also, it took me like six months at most to get pregnant after the moment we decided like, Hey, let's try and have another one. And, um, because I felt like I call being pregnant, my superpower, I wanted to be Mm -hmm. a surrogate. And so I ended up giving birth in 2019 in December. 
to my first surrogate baby. And literally in the process, I was saying to the parents, I want to do this again. I want to do a sibling journey. And they're like, you're pushing a child out of you and you want to do this again. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Um, I just, I love the whole process. So with COVID, um, I always say it was, it was kind of a mixed blessing because I needed to rest anyway. I wasn't allowed to get pregnant for at least a year. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, we were all in lockdown and it was awful. And, and, you know, we got through it, but, um, to me, I wasn't, I wasn't pushing towards anything. I wasn't like, nothing was put on pause for me at that point. Okay. Um, and then in January of 2022, I was allowed to start the IVF process again. Mm-hmm. Um, in May, I went in for the transfer and then 16 weeks and five days later, we found out there was no heartbeat. So it wasn't, it wasn't even my own baby, which I think was sort of that double-edged sword where I remember saying to my husband, after it happened, I'm just the surrogate. No one's going to remember that it happened to me. Like to it, me. It, it wasn't my baby. So how could I possibly be grieving this loss versus I found out later that every single person who's gone through pregnancy loss has felt the same thing where they say ah. this baby wasn't ever a, a person who was here on this earth that somebody could understand And so they're going to forget about the fact that I was pregnant or they're going to forget about this child that I loved so much, or they're going to forget that this child existed in some way, shape or form. Right. Well, it's almost kind of like you had adopted the baby as your own, right? You had welcomed it into your home. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So how could you not go through all of the, the emotions with that? Yeah. Wow. That's a pretty cool cool experience. So how do you, um, how did you talk to your kids about it and stuff? So the first time around, um, my daughter was very funny with it. Cause she would ask <laughs> more than once. I remember having this conversation with her where she would say, if there's more than one baby in there, do we get to keep one? <laughs> and I was like, no, no. If there's more than one, there's still the parents. They're not right. ours. This is not any part of our family. We're just sort of helping them grow their family. Um, and, and the parents were really, really amazing in that respect where they allowed my kids to help name the baby that I had. Uh-huh. Um, so his middle that's name cool. is something that we helped pick out, which I was oh, like, that's cool. yeah, it meant a lot. Um, and then it's funny now, cause my seven-year-old who at the time was four when the baby was born, like okay. I found out recently, he was telling a friend of ours that I gave away two babies. And I was like, <laughs> I I didn't give everything away. I didn't give a human being to somebody else thinking like, nah, I don't want it. And even yeah, if I had it, I didn't have some. to put it up for adoption. It's not the same. So yeah. So his perception of it is, is, um, doesn't everybody's mom have a baby right. to somebody else? Right. Um, and my middle child doesn't really talk about it. He, um, at the very beginning when I had the first baby, it, I think it affected him the most because he had seen okay. both sides of I I have a big sister and I have a little Mm -hmm. brother and now my mom has a baby that's not ours. So what does that mean? And he, his behavior, I could see changed the most in that moment. But once he was able to hold the baby and and get to know the family a little bit more after he was here, all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, I get it now. And his behavior went back to normal with the loss. And I don't know if you had to do the same thing with your, with your kids, or you said your sister's daughter is a lot younger. So Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was one where my daughter was the one who understood right away what was going on at the time she was 11 and she is very mature and very empathetic and can really, um, 
put very much like me, put your, put herself in the shoes of somebody else feeling their emotions. So my emotions very often rub off on her, which can be a positive and a negative. Um, but my, my boys, my younger one for, for a long time would climb into bed with me and say, can I give the baby a a kiss? And he would try and kiss my belly. And I'd have to Mm. re-explain, you know, the baby's not here anymore. And remember I was in the hospital for two days. And do you remember that the baby, he passed away in in my belly and he would, he'd be like, oh, okay. And then he'd run away. Yeah. Um, So it was all of those. Every time I had to explain it, it was, it was like the amnesia of, he was like, no, everything's fine. Right. Oh, no, everything's not fine. Okay. I'll, I'll talk to you later. Right. Well, it's so hard to understand, right. For, for a little one, what that even means. Right. Um, my sister's kids are, um, three and six and, uh, the six-year-old would say, did Boompa go to the clouds? That's how she understood it, that he went to the clouds. I love that. Yeah. That's my so, my mom when her father passed away. I wasn't alive. He passed away before I was born, obviously. And if I wasn't alive, and my cousin, who is probably ten years older than I was, was mm-hmm. about two or three. Um, and my mom had told her one time that Poppy is in the flowers, and uh, she every spring would go outside and talk to the flowers and her mom never understood it until finally she said when she was older no aunt laura told me that poppy was in the flowers so i go out and i talk to them every spring and my aunt was like that makes so much sense i now don't think you're a crazy child anymore like (laughs) you're you're connecting with what you feel is your grandfather right right yeah and they um whenever they see a cardinal they say that's boom oh that's beautiful Yeah. Why specifically a cardinal? <laughs> um, so when we were little, dad would always say the cardinals come near the house when it's gonna rain. And so we didn't see them often. So when we saw them, it was kind of like special that right. they were close. And I think that's kind of where it came from. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, my kids are 19 and 22 so it was a totally different experience for them not being little um but still I feel like it was kind of like a crack in the foundation of the house it's kind of like how I explain it like okay this thing that this this um structure that we had built is kind of um imperfect now or it's it's shifted so Um, I think that they felt that more than anything else. And, you know, it came with um, all the extraneous things. Like we had to move my mom out of the house into an assisted living um, facility. And so there's not like, there's not Nanny and Boompa's house to go to now. Right. And and so it's just a, a shift in the whole family dynamic. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think you know, obviously the older ones process it a lot differently than the younger ones, but I think a lot of the same, a lot of the same thoughts go through. They're just not necessarily expressed out loud because the right. little ones aren't afraid to say it. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. My therapist always talks about death in a way that it's a loss of innocence for the people who are still here. Yeah. And it's, it's such an interesting concept to think about because of the fact that you you know death is there you know it's it's always going to happen and it's funny cuz my grandfather 
passed away while I was pregnant with my daughter, who's now 12. So he passed away 13 years ago. And to me, he's still here. Like, even though I haven't been able to talk to him, there's pictures all over my house of him and my grandmother, my kids Mm -hmm. all, I like in my head, it's a weird thing to think that they've never met him because I talk about him so often. Right. And yet he's not here. And so it is that loss of innocence that I know when my parents pass away, it's going to be something for them also that my kids are going to be like, what do you mean? He's not here. What do you mean? I can't call him on the phone whenever I want. And it's, it's that innocence of not being able to just do what you want when you want to do it. Right. So, so I think that it's, it is that, that loss of innocence and understanding that you can't always get the things that you want to happen the way you want to happen. And and to be able to accept that, like I I say all the time, I can't change what happened, but I can change my outlook on it. And I can right. say for one thing or the other, whether I try and find a blessing or a meaning, yes. that's the only thing I can do. Right, right. And I think um, just like your grandfather wouldn't want you to be sad and mourning and sitting around not doing anything because you can't function. Right. And, and neither would, would the baby that you were bringing into life. So, and neither um, would your father. Right. So, yeah. And I think that it's also, it's all right. We live for them. And it's also you, you think about how you can live better to honor them right like I Uh might not have known this baby's personality very well because I didn't feel it move all the time since it was still before 20 weeks but I can still honor who that baby was in me by doing the things that I'm doing and to be able to create this safe space for people to talk about loss yeah beautiful yeah Uh, well tell people how they can find you Sure. So on Facebook, I'm, I have my maiden name on there mostly. So people from high school can find me, (laughs) but uh, it's Sally Skelton Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S. And um, I also have a business page called Happy Ripples Coaching. And I'm on Instagram at Happy Ripples Coaching. So Perfect. And we'll make sure we put all of those in the show notes so people know where to find you. So, and if you could have one parting thought of of loss and surviving and thriving afterwards what would that be I think just keeping in mind that they're still with you and they're still watching and they don't want you to be paralyzed with grief they want you to move on and be the best that you can be I think that's really beautiful it it also helps to solidify that you're not alone even if you have no one else that you can talk to, you can still talk to them. Yes. Yes. I believe that. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was such a wonderful conversation, even though it has to do with things that aren't always so wonderful to talk about. Right. Yeah. It was so nice to meet you and connect with you. Thank you. Well, um, I can't wait to see more about what, what you do and maybe even connect through coaching and we'll see. Love to. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you for joining me today on Pushing Through Loss. I hope this episode has provided support, understanding, and a sense of community for those who've experienced pregnancy loss. Remember, you are not alone in your journey, and there is strength within you to face the challenges that come your way. If you found value in today's episode, please consider sharing it with others who may benefit. Together, we can help each other heal 
and activate our inner strength warriors. Stay tuned for more empowering conversations. And until next time, you got this. Thank you.